Welcome to Trailhead Church. Uh, good to have you all here this morning. How was everyone's extra hour of sleep? Good? Or did you waste it on Netflix? Maybe? I don't know. Well, my name is Joe Grapple. I'm excited to be opening the word with you this morning. I want to start off um, by saying thank you. Uh, if, you were, if you were here last week, you heard Steve talk a little bit about um, uh, the, the Alton site, the second site of Trailhead and Alton that we're praying over and uh, just invited you all to pray and fast with us for these last two months of 2017. And I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. Thank you for joining us in that. Uh, just remind you to, that that is what we're doing and inviting you into doing that. Um, we're just confident that God loves Alton. He loves the city of Alton and that whole Riverbend community. Um, and he is eager to see the gospel advance uh, in those towns and cities. And so pray that he would do that and uh, just pray uh, with us for these last couple months of 2017. Um, thank you for doing that with us. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, it's uh, page 911 in your Bibles. Um, So we're in the second half of this sermon series called Invitation to More. We believe that in the Christian life, all of us, God is inviting us to more, to experience his love, experience his grace in a deeper way. Um, He's inviting us to experience more power, more joy, more life. And uh, we believe that to receive this invitation and experience it, we have to dig into the, the process of growth. And so um, these last you know, several weeks, Steve has been walking us through this kind of this model or this understanding of growth and discipleship in the Christian life, and we've been calling it the three G's, grace, gratitude, and growth. So just to review that quickly, again, we start with grace. It, it is so essential in the Christian life, when we think about the Christian life, we don't start with uh, what we've done for God, what we can do for God, what we will do for God, we start with what God has already done for us in Jesus. And that is, we sum that up with grace. Uh, The the gospel of of Jesus Christ, that we who were hopeless, that we who were dead in our sins, apart from God, um, having no ability to save ourselves, having no ability to make ourselves good enough or right enough before God, um, God, through His Son Jesus, through the death and resurrection of His Son Jesus, He uh, saves us, he justifies us, he declares us to be right with him, he clothes us with the righteousness of his son, Jesus, so that we can have a right standing before him. And then even beyond that, he he loves us and he he welcomes us in as sons and daughters, he delights over us and he he adopts us into his family. So, So God's been incredibly kind to us through Jesus, we sum that up with the word grace. We respond to that grace. God helps us to respond, enables us to respond to that grace with gratitude. And so kind of some different parts of what that means. First of all, it's, it's responding in faith to Christ and trusting in him alone. It's responding with humility, realizing that I can't do anything to save myself. God has done everything to save me. Uh, responding with joy that I am loved, I am accepted, I am delighted in by the God of the universe And so we sum that up with gratitude, and then gratitude moves us toward growth. Gratitude uh, enables us to to push into that zone of discomfort. Uh, That's where growth happens, and and it's gratitude for God's grace that enables us and and empowers us to embrace that zone of discomfort, that zone of growth. So where we're at now with the second half of this series is we are going through these different, what Steve is calling, force multipliers. And these force multipliers are found here in Acts 2. And this is how we experience the growth zone. Um, These force multipliers, they they push us toward the growth zone. They keep us in the growth zone, uh, that zone of discomfort. So Steve kind of kicked off this section last week, excuse me, with truth, that we uh, take in the truth, we take in the Word of God, and today now is community. Uh, So that's where we're going to go in just a second. But before I get there, I want to just say, because I've just... As I've thought about this sermon series in my heart and where we've been and where we're going, I feel just compelled to say this to you as well. Um, We have to be careful to not separate the the second half of this sermon series that we're in from the first part that we've already heard. In in other words, we can easily separate these force multipliers from the three Gs. Uh, What we can do so easily, I know I can do this so easily, is that we can take these force multipliers, and, and if, if you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about there, it's these, it's these disciplines of taking in the Word and prayer and worship and community and being on mission. We can take these things, and, and we can make them a way to earn God's grace 
rather than living them out in response to his grace. Um, if you're like me, th- there's that tendency in my heart, I know, and I would think it's in, in your heart as well. So remember, th- this is th- the engine of all of this is God's grace. That's where we start. That's what drives this whole thing. It's God's kindness to us in Jesus. It's then our response of gratitude toward that. So, so these force multipliers that we're digging in and studying, they are, they are from grace, and then even in a sense, they lead us back to grace, but they are not for grace. They are not ways for us to earn God's grace and God's kindness because you can't earn that. You, you never could. I mean, these are, don't get me wrong, these are good religious activities that we need to be uh, devoting ourselves to. And certainly if you've been a, a Christian for any length of time, you've been challenged to, to, to devote yourself to these things. And, and ab- that's absolutely right. But again, the tendency of our hearts is to, to make these as a way to get grace rather than to, to respond to grace with them. So um, don't forget the first half of the sermon series. Go back and listen to it again if you need to. And, and don't view these force multipliers as a way to get grace. If, if you do, um, the engine of, of this for you then is not, is not the grace of God, but it ends up being your own shame and your own religious performance and your own self-effort. And, and friends, that is not an invitation to more. That is an invitation to, to bondage, to slavery, to misery, to death. And that's, of course, not what God has for us. So preach grace to your own heart. Start with the grace of God, respond with gratitude, and then move toward these force multipliers. Okay, so let's go into uh, Acts chapter 2. Let me read this passage for you, and, uh, and, then, and then we'll dig in. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. So again, the force multiplier we're considering this morning is community. And you may... Uh, think after reading those verses, you think I didn't I didn't catch the word uh, community, and and to be fair, the word uh, community isn't there. But kind of what we're digging into is that word in verse forty two, that word fellowship, uh, fellowship in the ESV. Um, you may not use the word fellowship a lot. Uh, there are some church circles that use the word fellowship a lot. A lot of times, it's used synonymously with a meal, usually a potluck meal. And uh, that's not an altogether bad or wrong use of the word fellowship, but there's so much more to the idea of fellowship. So, so the word here in the Greek, it's the word koinonia. Uh, maybe you've heard that word before uh, just in studying the Bible. It's the word koinonia. Koinonia means sharing. It means sharing something together, um, participating in something together, holding something in common. So when we talk about koinonia, when we talk about fellowship, community, in the Christian life, uh, we're talking about more than just sharing an occasional meal together, though that certainly is part of it. I mean, breaking bread, sharing a meal together, yes, but so much more than that. We're talking about sharing our lives together. We're talking about sharing our whole experience of Christ and of the gospel together, walking through life together. And, and you see this all over this passage, right? I mean, let, let's just walk back through it quickly, okay? And there's really just these, these aspects of community all over this passage. Look at verse 44. Verse 44, it says, all who believed were together. Community. They had all things in common. They were sharing their lives together. Verse uh, 45, they're selling their possessions. They're selling possessions to, to meet each other's needs. Verse 46, day by day, they're attending the temple, what? Together, right? They're breaking bread in their homes, so they are sharing meals together. They're probably even doing the Lord's Supper uh, together as well, practicing the Lord's Supper um, all, all over this passage, they are doing life together. They're sharing. They had all things in common. They're living in koinonia. They're learn, living in fellowship and in community. <clears throat> Another way you could say all this is that there are no Lone Ranger Christians in uh, the Christian life. Um, if your understanding of the Christian life up to this point 
is very privatized. That is, uh, reading the Word by yourself, praying by yourself, worshiping by yourself, serving by yourself, um, struggling by yourself, having a meal always by yourself, and you're not digging into the depths of the gospel in a meaningful way with, in relationships with other brothers and sisters. And I have to tell you, you are missing out, and you're missing the, the picture of what the Christian life is to look like that the New Testament paints for us. You're missing out on the best of what God has for us. Now, uh, don't get me wrong. There is a place for solitude. There is a place for being alone in the Christian life. And all the introverts among us breathe a sigh of relief, right? Okay, don't take that away. Um, the, the, there is a place for that. But the overall flavor of the Christian life is community, living in community. All right? Now, we're not going to spend a lot more time here in Acts 2. But before we leave, I want to point out one more word um, in verse 42, I don't want you to miss this. It's that word devoted. Devoted. R- really the question that I have for you this morning, um, I'm going to say it now, I'm going to say it at, later on in the sermon. It, it's not just are you in community, because I would imagine for most of you out there, you are in a community group. Um, and, and so you might be tempted to think, oh yeah, community, Psh, I got this. Next, let's move on to the next force multiplier. I got this, Joe. Um, no, no. It's not, are you in a community group? It's, are you devoted to community? Um, these, the early church here, they were devoted to all these things. And so they were devoted to fellowship, to koinonia, to community. It was a high priority for them. Um, they did not coast in community. They did not think that they would just stumble into community with others one day. Um, they, they didn't just say, oh, th- that's a nice idea. That'll happen when it happens. No, they devoted themselves to it. They were they, they pursued it, they prioritized it, and, and they did that even with all the mess, right? Community is messy. Community would have been messy for them. They still, they, they had their stuff. Um, community goes bad sometimes. Community, you get hurt sometimes, and, and it would have been the same for them. I mean, sometimes I look at the early church, and I kind of sanitize this picture of the early church, that everything was just, just perfect and blissful and, and utopian, and it was just all unicorns and rainbows, but it wasn't. They were still sinners. They still hurt each other. They were still selfish, and yet they still devoted themselves to community. So, again, is that you? That's my primary question for you. Are you devoted to community? Does the pattern of your life say that you're devoted to community? Does your interaction with your community group, not only when you meet, but outside of when you meet, um, tell the fact that you are devoted to community? All right, so kind of a bit of a roadmap now for where we're going for the rest of the sermon. I want to go to a couple different passages um, in the scriptures. Uh, one's going to be in the Old Testament, one in the New. And we're going to be in these passages for, for a time, and then we'll, we'll follow, follow that with just asking, okay, what are the implications? What does this look like for us um, going from here? How should all this shape our understanding of community? Okay, so to start off, we're going to go to the very beginning of the Bible. Okay, we're going to go to Genesis, uh, the first three chapters of Genesis, and the reason for that, <clears throat> excuse me, as I considered the subject of community, I couldn't just help, but, but I couldn't get past the fact that there were so many big truths revealed in these first three chapters of Genesis that I think are, are really just foundational for our understanding of community. Okay, so that's why we're going here. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Should be pretty easy to find, very beginning of your Bible, right? Um, what we have in Genesis 1 is the account of creation. Uh, the, ca- the account of the creation of the universe, where the eternal God, who has always existed, he creates the universe, the God who doesn't exist within time, he exists outside of time, he actually creates time itself, and he creates uh, the whole universe. The, the Bible tells us that in six days, God creates the whole universe, um, he, he speaks it into existence, everything, the earth, the oceans, the plants, the animals, people, um, he speaks it all into existence, even the, the galaxies, the system of galaxies, the, the sun, the moon, the stars. And he not only creates it all, but, but across this canvas of the universe, he paints his glory. He, everywhere, he, he, he shows us what he is like. He, he displays that he is a beautiful, glorious God. He's saying all through creation, he's saying, Worship me, know me. I am a God who is full of beauty, full of glory, full of majesty. Now, what I want you to notice here 
with Genesis chapter 1 is who is doing the creating here? Who's doing the creating? And you say, well, that's obvious. It's God. And, and that's obviously right. Uh, the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1, tells us, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So yes, God is creating here, but, but I want you to also notice verse 2 of Genesis 1, kind of the second half of the verse. Um, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we have God, we have the Spirit of God, and um, it, it's not not crystal clear here from Genesis 1, but we know from the rest of the Bible, from the New Testament, but we're, we're, we're taught that Jesus himself, the Son of God, was very involved in creation, that, that God created the universe through his Son, Jesus. Jesus was the, the agent of creation, so to speak. And so we may not see it at first glance here, but in reality, this very first chapter of the Bible exposes us to the reality of the Trinity, that God is triune, that he exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, though he is one God. Uh, Steve, I think, mentioned it a couple weeks ago that God is three who's but one what, and that's absolutely right, and you see that right here in the first chapter of the Bible. So what's interesting and what, what's kind of crazy is when you, when you think about a subject like community, you come to the subject of community, we have to first understand that God himself is community. God is community. He is three persons. He's one God, yes, understand. He's not three gods. He's one God, but he is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And they have always existed. They've existed since eternity past. These three divine persons in one Godhead, um, and they don't exist in isolation either. No, quite the opposite. They exist in perfect fellowship with each other. The scriptures often tell us of, of the, the interplay and the relating that happens between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. I want to read you a, a quote here from a, a man by the name of John Samen. This is what Samen says. Uh, Within God's very nature is a divine rhythm or pattern of continuous giving and receiving. Not only love, but also glory, honor, life, each in its fullness. Think, God the Father loves and delights in the Son. Jesus receives that love and pleases the Father. Jesus honors the Spirit, and the Spirit glorifies the Father and the Son. Each person in the Trinity loves, honors, and glorifies the other, and receives love and honor back from others. There is never any lack. There is perfect fellowship happening among the three persons of the Godhead. God is community. So we get to the end of Genesis uh, chapter 1, or toward the end of chapter 1. Look down at verse 26, realizing that God is community, we're not surprised when we read in verse 26, we read God refer to himself, not in the singular, but in the plural. Look at verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us, let us make man in our image. He does not say, I will make man in my own image. No, because he's community. He's three persons. He says, let us make man in our image. Now, Right there in verse 26 is where I want to go next. This God who is community, he creates man, and he creates man in his own image. As, as, as humans, we have been created in the image of God. Uh, it's what theologians call uh, the imago dei, which is simply Latin for, you guessed it, the image of God. Um, we are different from the whole rest of creation in that God has created us in his image. Now, um, the, the imago dei, the fact that we've been created in the image of God, it means a lot of different things that, that, would, be, that would be awesome to explore and study together. We don't have time for that this morning. What I want to press into, the one thing I want to press into is what we've already learned about God, that God is community. And if God is community, if he exists in three persons and he's created man in his own image, then we have to understand that in the very nature, in the very DNA, in the very way that God designed us, He designed us that we should live, that we must live in community. It's the way that He's created us and designed us to be like Himself, to be in His image. And all of this is then just confirmed and realized when we get into chapter 2 of Genesis. So uh, fast forward to chapter 2. Genesis 2 really is just kind of a retelling of of day six of the creation week where God creates man. Uh, it's just retelling it in greater detail for the most part. So 
what happens in chapter 2, God has created man, God has created Adam in his image. And, and being created in God's image, uh, in the image of God, Adam, um, he can't adequately experience relationship uh, and fellowship and intimacy with the rest of the creation. Um, th- there's this barrier there. Adam feels alone. Uh, the animals, the rest of the creation, they're not able to meet Adam in his loneliness because Adam's different. He's been created in the image of God. And so God says, verse 18 of chapter 2, he says, it is not good that the man should be alone. And so God then creates Eve. I'm sure you're familiar with the account. He takes one of Adam's ribs and, and somehow from that he, he creates Eve. And Adam then has, as a result, he has a helper who is suitable for him, as the verse says. He, uh, he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now, obviously, Genesis 2, it's a crucial text for marriage, right? I mean, even, even Paul and Jesus in the New Testament, they, they point back to Genesis 2 often when they teach on marriage. It's absolutely right. But Genesis 2, Genesis 2.18 is not just about marriage, right? It, we'd be shortchanging ourselves to think that this is this phrase, it is not good for man to be alone, that that's just about marriage. It's, it's bigger than that. It, there's a fuller picture there um, ma- because marriage is not the only place that we experience community. Marriage is not the only place we experience relational intimacy, even really deep, good connectedness and intimacy. Marriage is not the only place we experience that. Again, we come back to the fact that God has created us in His image He's designed us, he's wired us for community, for relationships. And so it doesn't matter where we're at with marriage, single, married, uh, divorced, widowed, whatever. We, it is true of us that it is, it is not good for man to be alone. And that, that not alone there is not just marriage, but it's, it's community and connectedness and relationships and intimacy of all kinds. So, big picture, taking a step back where we've been so far. God is community. He creates man in his image. He designs us to live in community as well. We see that fleshed out even in chapter 2 with Adam and Eve. Then comes chapter 3. And everything happened, Everything that, that, that's happened so far falls apart, so to speak, in chapter 3. Um, chapter 3 is really the account of, I think it's safe to say, the worst day in the history of the universe so far. Uh, where mankind chooses the path of worldliness. Mankind says, uh, I'm going to do life on my own. I'm going to do life apart from God. And, and mankind rebels against God. And in so doing, these horrible uh, monsters of sin and death and brokenness are unleashed into the world. Um, again, I'm sure you're probably familiar with this account. The devil, Eve, he, uh, the devil uh, comes to Eve in the form of a serpent. Um, and, and he tempts her to rebel against God. Let's go ahead and read in Genesis 3. I'm going to start in verse 6 and read several verses here, okay? Um, Genesis 3, 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Jump down to verse 15 now. This is God talking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then one more verse. Jump down to verse 21. Verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So what you have happening here in Genesis 3 is the fall, what we call the fall, the fall of humanity. Eve has chosen this path of worldliness. She said, I don't need God. I'm going to do life on my own. I'm going to go my own way. Adam follows right along with Eve. He does not lead his wife well. Uh, They eat the fruit together. They sin together. And then you notice what happens. Fear and shame just flood into the scene. It's as if Adam and Eve instantaneously almost, they have this desire to what? To hide themselves, right? 
They know that they're naked now. They make loincloths for themselves out of fig leaves. I got to think that's really uncomfortable, um, by the way. Um, not a funny joke? Okay, oh, never mind. They hide themselves. They hide themselves from the presence of God. Adam even, even tells God, he said, I hid myself, and I hid myself because I was afraid. Their sin brought about this intense desire to hide. It's as if their inward spiritual shame, this inward feeling of uh, that I'm exposed now, it's being realized on the outside. It's being realized in that they physically want to hide themselves. They want to hide their bodies. So I want you to see the bigger picture here, okay? Man, created in the image of God, created to be like God in this design of community, is now rejecting this design. Man was created for community with God and with others, and now, they're, Adam and Eve, they're pushing away from community. They're out of fear and out of shame, they're running away from community, and they're hiding. But then something amazing happens, something beautiful happens. I read that last verse, verse 21. <clears throat> God meets Adam and Eve in their shame, and he clothes them. They were exposed, they were naked, they were fully known before God, And because of their sin, they felt that to the very core. And God, in grace and in love and in kindness, He comes to them and He clothes them. We would suspect that He killed animals, that He sacrificed animals so they could have these animal skins, and God used those animal skins to clothe Adam and Eve. And so, what we have here in the very first few chapters of the Bible, the third chapter of the Bible, is an incredible foretaste of the cross of Jesus. Do you see that? Do you see that, that someone, something, had to be sacrificed so that sinners could be covered and clothed before God, so that their shame could be clothed and hidden behind the sacrifice of someone else? Because one day, this, this verse, this promise, verse 15, about the offspring of Eve, one day that would come true. The offspring of Eve that we know now to be the Son of God, Jesus, he would come and, and his heel would be bruised. What that means is he would, he would, be, um, he would be hurt, he would be sacrificed, he would be uh, crucified on a cross, he would, um, he would suffer and he would die and he would bear the wrath of God for sinners, but he would not be defeated. He would rise victoriously on the third day. He would bruise, I think we could even say he would crush the head of the serpent, and, and through his work, through his death, through his resurrection, uh, for all those who hope in him, uh, they will be clothed with his righteousness so that they can stand before God. What, what you have happening here is, is Adam and Eve experience the most powerful thing in the universe. And, and what that is, the most powerful thing in the universe, is to be, on the one hand, known fully known and exposed and yet at the same time and accepted and delighted in it's it's grace it's the gospel that's what adam and eve experience here and and friends adam and eve's story is our story as well we have sinned we've rebelled we've said i'm gonna i'm gonna do life apart from god and and in god's grace he has moved in our hearts so that we would make jesus our only hope And we would place our faith in Him. And so, in kindness and in love toward us, He clothes us. He clothes us with the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. While while the depths of who we are are exposed before God, and and we can't can't cover ourselves, we can't can't sew fig leaves together and cover ourselves. No, He comes to us and He clothes us. He covers us with the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. Now, you may say, Whoa, okay, what happened to community? <laughs> uh, what, what does this all have to do with community? Okay, well, I'm glad you asked that. Um, I want us to see that we are like Adam and Eve, too, in, that, in this propensity that we have to hide. We are just like Adam and Eve. Our natural bent now, because of the fall, because of, because of Adam and Eve's sin and our sin, our natural bent is not to run to community, what we were originally designed to, to do and how we were originally designed to live. No, our, our natural bent now, uh, especially when it comes to our own sin and shame, it's not to bring it out into the light and to be known and to be exposed. Rather, it is to hide. We hide. We hide from God. We hide from one another. And we do that in a lot of different ways, don't we? 
we hide by just maybe just not allowing ourselves to be known in any way, shape, or form. We, we push away all opportunities to do that. Um, we hide behind versions of ourselves, uh, th- these versions of ourselves that we have it all put together, that we are this holy, righteous, uh, superhero, just nailing it kind of Christian when we're not. We hide behind versions of ourselves that we project out to other people. We hide, um, maybe, maybe we're in community and uh, we're in a community setting and we have the opportunity to share. We have the opportunity to kind of bear our hearts before others and, and, and be open with who we are, but we don't do that. Instead, we, we give this carefully edited version of ourselves so that we still uh, look good before others and we think that others will still be impressed with us or think highly of us or whatever. Um, that too is hiding. We hide in so many different ways. So friends, see that we are just like Adam and Eve. We hide We hide from God. We hide from one another. We reject God's design to live in community. Left to ourselves, we do that. But again, there's a better way than this. There's an invitation to more. There's a way for us to experience more, and and it's in community. It's pressing into community and fellowship and koinonia and and experiencing the depths of the gospel together. All right, so what I want to do now is I want to go to that other passage that that I told you about in the New Testament Um, Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. You guys still with me out there? Ephesians chapter 3? All right. Um, Let's go to Ephesians 3. We're we're not going to spend near as much time in Ephesians 3 as we did in Genesis. Um, We're going to pick it up in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 3. This is Paul writing to the believers in Ephesus, writing to the believers in this city, telling them in this passage, telling them how he prays for them. And uh, it's a beautiful passage. And we're not going to read it all. We're just going to uh, start in verse uh, 17 of Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, in the, kind of in the middle here of this paragraph. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. A few years ago, I remember, I, I knew this passage, and I remember studying it or reading it one time, and, and in this passage, a, a, a short phrase jumped out to me in a way that I hadn't seen it before, and, and for me, it just kind of cast a different light on the verses. It really did, and it, and it really helped me to see that there is a beautiful picture of community being talked about in these few verses, okay? So I want to focus in on, uh, obviously, the verses that I just read for you, the, this, this way that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, he prays that they, uh, again, being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength, would have the ability to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So Paul prays for these believers in Ephesus that they'd have this really deep knowledge of God's love for them. Not that they would just intellectually know that God loves them, uh, but that they would be, be astounded and overwhelmed by the immensity of of God's love, his, his knowledge-surpassing love, his broad, long, high, deep love for them in Jesus. The love that moved Jesus to, to suffer and to sacrifice for them, to give his life for them. The love that, that moved Jesus to, to do that so, that so that we and they could be covered uh, in our shame, covered with the righteousness of Christ. And so Paul wants them to know this love. He wants them to be amazed again and again in a deeper way of this love. But do you notice, do you notice the context in which Paul prays that that would happen? Do you notice where it is that these believers in Ephesus and that we will comprehend the love of Jesus? What I'm talking about is that phrase in verse 18, four words, with all the saints. It's not in isolation. It's not, it's not just in our pr- private time in the Word and in prayer that we comprehend the love of Jesus. No, it's with the saints. And, and, and just to be clear on saints, it, it may not be you know, what, what you think from previous religious experiences. Saints just simply means believers in Jesus, simply means brothers and sisters in Jesus, those that God has, that has called out and set apart for Himself. So we comprehend the love of Jesus, this immense, broad, long, high, deep, knowledge-surpassing love of Jesus, not in isolation, not by ourselves, but in community, 
with the saints, with brothers and sisters. And, and friends, that when you get down to it, that is what community is all about. Community is not just about having people to, to, to be with and hang out with and have fun with, though that's obviously a great blessing of community. Community is not about uh, getting together for a Bible study, though there's obviously much, much good in that. Uh, community is not about getting together to, to, to share and listen to, to felt needs and kind of provide some sort of therapy in that way, though, though again, there, there might even be a place for that. But community is, is comprehending the love of Christ together with the saints. We push in together to the love of God in Christ. Together, we push in to the gospel. And so we can reject that propensity that we have to hide. Because we move forward in the light of the gospel and in the confidence of the gospel. The God, the creator of the universe, he sees me fully. I'm exposed before him and yet he loves me and accepts me and delights in me in his son Jesus. Why then would I, if I don't need to hide from him, why would I need to hide from others? Community is comprehending the love of Christ together. It's it's pushing into the gospel together. And you say, okay, yeah, that sounds really nice, but what does that look like? Let's dig into that a little bit, all right? Now, now first I have to say, uh, for those who might be newer among us um, and may not be familiar with, you know, with Trailhead too much yet, um, at Trailhead, uh, our, our primary way that we push people uh, toward community is through our community groups, uh, our community group ministry. Um, now, there are certainly other places, other ways to find community. We're not, we're not saying there's not. Uh, but it's really the community group ministry that is the primary tool uh, of the leadership here at Trailhead to push people into community and experiencing um, community, experiencing growth in community. So, just being on the same page about that, um, we believe strongly in our community groups and we believe in having diversity in our community groups. Uh, we don't believe in affinity groups here, if you're ever, if you're ever expo- exposed to that. Uh, we, we don't believe in forming groups around similar interests or, or groups around people who are in similar life stages. We believe in having diversity in our groups, diversity of age, diversity of race, diversity of background, diversity of socioeconomic status, diversity of political views, diversity of all kinds. And the reason for that is that we long, we long for that diversity because we believe it's in that sort of setting and against, it's against that backdrop that the gospel will shine brightly. Uh, when, when you have a group of people uh, living in community together, community together, and they're all like each other, that's really easy. And that doesn't really prove anything. And that doesn't magnify the gospel of Jesus. But when you have a group of people that are very different from each other, with different backgrounds, different perspectives, and they're working through it and pushing into the mess and, and just the difficulty of community, man, the gospel is really going to shine brightly in that. The, the power of the gospel to bring unity is going is to shine brightly in that. Now, with that, we understand that with that diversity, there's probably going to be some conflict, right? There, there's, uh, when you have people with different backgrounds, different perspectives, there's going to be conflict. And even the fact that every single person at Trailhead Church and every single person uh, who seeks to live in community, every single person that's in a community group is a selfish, self-focused sinner, right? I'm looking at you because I'm looking at me too. We're all like that. And so that's going to bring some conflict as well. You put people like that together, there's going to be conflict. But the key is that when that conflict arises, we don't push away. We, we, we push in. We don't push away from the table, so to speak. We, we stay in that discomfort zone, right? We stay in that that. Um, growth zone. That's where the growth is going to happen. We, we have experienced grace and we have been forgiven, so we don't, we don't push away. We say, no, I've, I've experienced grace. I've been shown grace. I've been forgiven, so I will forgive. I will seek to be forgiven. Out of the gospel, we respond in humility to conflict. So it's against this backdrop um, that the gospel shines. It's a sort of setting that that it becomes apparent that what unites us together, the gospel, is stronger, is deeper than anything that might drive us apart. This is what it looks like to, to live in community. This is what it looks like to press into the gospel together. So uh, I would add to that as well, that not only 
So, th- so kind of all that was, was exemplifying the gospel and kind of displaying the gospel and how we relate to each other. So yes to all that, but then also, not just exemplifying the gospel, but actually proclaiming the gospel with our words. Um, saying the gospel, the gospel being on our speech with each other. The gospel should come up in our conversations with one another in community. Um, we, we should be pointing each other to the gospel. When we, when we gather and when we discuss uh, the sermon from the previous Sunday, we should be uh, just considering and exploring and discussing uh, how does the gospel intersect uh, with my life in this, in this sort of particular truth. Um, and I would even add as well, just a real practical thing, when we, when we share our struggles, when we kind of open ourselves up when we're in community, um, when we expose our hearts, when we confess our sins, in that moment, we should be pointing each other to the gospel as well. Um, because I, I can remind myself of the gospel. I can preach the gospel to myself, and I should, I, and you should. You absolutely should. But it's a much more powerful thing to have a brother or sister sit across from you and speak the gospel over you. It's a powerful thing to have a brother or sister pray for you and thank God that the gospel is true for you. I mean, think about that. Confessing your sins, bearing your heart out before a brother or sister, and to have that brother or sister look you in the eye and say, yeah, brother or sister, you have sinned, but you are loved. You, you are loved and you are forgiven. The Son of God gave His life for you. He bore the wrath of the Father for you. You are now a son, a daughter of the Father. The Father delights over you and rejoices over you and loves you. That is a powerful thing, and you can't experience that sort of power. You can't experience that kind of powerful moment if you're choosing to live in isolation. If you're choosing to hide yourself from others, you're only going to find that kind of encouragement, that kind of hope in living in community with others. This is what it looks like to live in community. This is what it looks like to to push into the gospel, the incredible, um, immense love of God together. This is... This is where we experience growth. This is where we experience growth and grace. Um, it's in community, in, in comprehending the, the love of Christ together with the saints. Okay? So, where do we go from here? Okay, what, what are kind of the takeaways as, as we walk away from here? How should we think differently, maybe, uh, about community? Okay, so first of all, I want to say to you, I want to urge to you, to join a community group. Obviously, that's where this sermon's got to be going in some form, right? If, you, if you're a, a regular attender here and you're not in a community group, I want to strongly encourage you to join a community group. Maybe you, maybe you just started attending here recently. Um, may, maybe you've been here for a while and, and you're just kind of on the fence about it. You're not, you don't sh- you're not sure if you see the point of it. Um, maybe deep down you're reluctant to join a community group because, frankly, you're hiding. You're hiding from God. You're hiding from others and you're not, you're not resting in the confidence of the gospel that God sees you and still delights in you and that you don't have to hide from others, that you've been clothed in Christ. So if, if that's you in any way and you're not in a community group, again, I want to strongly encourage you to join one. Um, and and this, to be clear, the, the stance we're taking on this is not we want to make you feel bad if you're not in a community group and we want to guilt you into joining one. That, that's not it at all. I mean, Again, the whole idea of this sermon series is an invitation to more. We genuinely believe that if you're not in community, you're missing out. You're missing out on an opportunity to experience more of the gospel, to experience more growth in the gospel in community. And so I'd ask you, please, if if you're not in a community group and you want to be a part of one after the service, go to Connection Point, talk to whoever's there. They'll connect you with the right people, and uh, you can start being a part of a group. And and as I prepared, i got to tell you, as I prepared this sermon, I prayed that God would, would move in the hearts of some who, who have been on the fence about a community group and that we might have, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 people join a community group. Take that step. That would be awesome. That would be fantastic. Now, what comes with that as well is if, if Trailhead Church is growing and we, and we praise God that it, that it is and our community group ministry is growing, we praise God that it is, that also means that we're going to need more community group leaders. And so I want to ask you as well, is God calling you to be a community group leader? Understanding that not everyone that, that wants it will necessarily be called to do that or maybe be ready for that, but I think wanting it is, is a great place to start. 
um, and, our, and our leadership will, will walk through that with you and prayerfully consider that with you. So is God calling you to lead a community group? Uh, community group leaders that we might have among us right now, think about, as scary as this might be, um, think about your own group right now. Who is that, that person or that couple in your group that is just uh, a rock-solid member? I mean, you can always depend on them. You can always count on them. They're always uh, in attendance. They're always contributing. They're always engaged. As hard and as scary as it might be to lose them from your group, what if God is actually calling them to step out and to lead a group of their own? Um, who in your group right now might be somebody that God is calling to uh, lead a group? All right, so that's just... That's still all under join a community group, okay? Uh, Beyond that, it's not enough to just be in a group. You know this. It's not enough to just be in a group um, because you can coast in a group pretty easily, right? Um, Again, what did did it say about the early church in Acts 2? They were devoted to community. They were devoted to fellowship, devoted to koinonia. So I want to ask you, are you devoted to community? And, And just from here, encourage you to be devoted to community from here. Uh, the phrase that we often use around here at Trailhead is, is knowing and being known when we talk about community. And so I just want to take both of those ideas, knowing and being known, and, and just kind of drive both of those home as we kind of finish out this sermon. Um, so first, I would encourage you to seek to know. Seek to know the brothers or sisters in your community group. Uh, seek to know what's going on in their lives. Seek to know where they're struggling. Seek to know how you could be praying for them. And then, of course, actually pray for them. Um, I think it's easy for us to slip into this mindset uh, that, that prevents us from really knowing one, one another well. This mindset where we think of our groups as, as an event rather than a group that we belong to. So the, the way I just kind of think of it in my own mind is community group is not, it's not something I attend. It's a group that I belong to. Community group is not something I attend. It's a group that I belong to. Are you embracing that mentality? It's easy for us to slide in that mentality that community group is just, it's this one time slot of the week, right? It's this one event, but that's too narrow. That, that, that's, there's so much more of the gospel to experience if, we, if we'd realize that community is not just one time of the week, but it's a group of people that you belong to to walk through life with throughout the week. So as I think about it, I think something we just have to be constantly thinking about, constantly asking ourselves is, what is it that I'm already doing? And not, so we're not talking about adding things on to life here, but what is it that I'm already doing that I can invite somebody else into that um, so that I can have the opportunity to, to know them, to do life with them, to walk with them, and, and get to know them on a deeper level because I love them. So there's many examples that, that I could give of this, just a few I thought of. Maybe it's, uh, you got to go grocery shopping. And so instead of going grocery shopping by yourself like you normally would, you invite somebody else to go and, and, and you do it together. Um, maybe instead of sitting at home and watching uh, the blues game or watching Stranger Things or watching whatever by yourself, you invite someone else over and you watch it together. Um, what if what if instead of having lunch or dinner by yourself like you might normally do, you invite someone else in? You, you, eat three, you eat 21 times a week at least. I mean, how many opportunities do you have to, to invite others in and share a meal together with them? If one of the kids in your community group has a soccer game, um, man, go to the game. Cheer them on. Be part of the family. Be there on the sidelines and cheer them on. A, a number of examples I could give. Um, of what this might look like. But seek to know the brothers and sisters in your community group. Walk closely with them through life, okay? But don't just seek to know, seek to be known as well. Seek to be known as well. Again, friends, we don't have to hide. The gospel enables us to know that we don't have to hide because the creator of the universe sees us. We're, we're totally exposed before him, and yet in his son Jesus, we are clothed, and so we are loved and accepted and delighted. And if I don't have to hide from God, I don't have to hide from others as well. So friends, are you hiding in your community groups, or are you seeking to be known? Are you hiding behind that carefully edited version of yourself that you're projecting out there, that, that version of yourself where, where you're all put together and you're nailing it, are you hiding behind that, or are you, um, because of the gospel, because of your confidence in the gospel, you are, you are walking in the light, you're, you're laying bare who you are before others in your group. But when you have opportunities to, to share in your community group, to share struggles, um, to share your sins, 
Uh, if your group is like mine, we always have the, the gender time at the end where we split up men and women and pray. But when it comes to that and you have the opportunity to share, um, how do you share? How, how do you go about sharing? Is it uh, you just kind of give the current events of your life? Here's what's going on. Is it just kind of a news report on what's going on? Or is it deeper than that? Is it, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where, here's where I've been trapped in sin this last week. Here's where I need you to pray for me. Here's where I need you to remind me of the gospel. Here's where, I, here's where I'm failing and I'm struggling to believe the gospel is true. Push into that. Live in, in community with your brothers and sisters. Seek to be known by them out of the confidence of the gospel, out of the confidence that you don't have to hide. Let your brothers and sisters know you as you seek to know them. Again, there is no more powerful experience in the universe than to be known, to be fully exposed for who you are, the depths of who you are known, and yet in that same moment to be loved and accepted and delighted in. And friends, we have that in the gospel of Jesus We are accepted in Jesus. We're clothed in his righteousness. And we, even beyond that, we can experience that in community. We can can visibly and audibly and tangibly uh, know the love and acceptance that God has for us through the love and acceptance of our brothers and sisters in our groups. All right, so let's let's seek to know, let's seek to be known, and, and let's be devoted to community. All right? Let's, uh, let's move toward communion now, and we're going to have some reflection questions on the screen. I encourage you to, to prayerfully consider them. Um, just, just pray to God right now. What, what's God revealing to you? Where would God have you to change? And uh, following that, we'll, we'll transition toward communion. Let me go ahead and pray first. Father, I thank you for, um, thank you for the gospel of Jesus. I thank you that that we have experienced the most powerful and wonderful thing in the universe, that, that we are known fully, we are fully exposed before you of who we are, and yet you still love us, you still delight in us, you still accept us uh, in Jesus. And God, thank you for that above all. Thank you that that can be realized in community and that we don't have to hide from, since we don't have to hide from you, we don't have to hide from others as well. Um, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room right now pray that your spirit would be at work, and I pray that you'd be showing us um, where we are hiding, where we are um, not devoting ourselves to community. And, and maybe it's out of fear and shame and just not having confidence in the gospel. Um, God, show us. Show us what you'd have for us today. Show us how we're hiding, how we're maybe not devoting ourselves to community. I pray for some in this room who, who maybe aren't experiencing community at all, and I pray that they would be encouraged to join a community group and that there is so much uh, more for them, uh, more of the gospel to experience that they would give themselves over to community. So I pray you do that um, in this place as well. We love you, God. We thank you for the, the love you have for us in your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.